Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NABTRADE's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. If you're listening to this podcast as it's published, at the time it's published, many millions of Australians are in lockdown as COVID-19 remains a serious threat, much more serious, I think, than many of us hoped it would be at this stage. Last year, when COVID was really new and not terribly well understood, I was joined on this podcast by Dr. Bianca Ogden, the Portfolio Manager of the Platinum International Healthcare Fund, to talk about what it could mean for stocks and for markets. Bianca has a PhD in virology. She worked for J&J and Novartis prior to becoming a fund manager. So she's uniquely well qualified to talk about where we find ourselves a year on, or a bit more than a year now from covid kind of hitting us between the eyes and how the healthcare sector is responding to a changing virus and also how to invest in this environment. Bianca, thanks so much for joining me. Well, it's great to be back, Gemma. Thanks very much for having me. Great topics and very topical, really, that whole situations. (laughs) It's not going away, is it? No, no, I don't think it's got to be away. As I said before, uh, this is part of how we have to live with it. And um, I very much doubt that the Delta variant is the last variant we will see either. So there'll be more to come. Oh, gosh, that's a punchy opening. <laughs> so when we spoke last, you talked about the potential for vaccines against COVID and who was developing them, which I find astonishing because one of the most kind of uh, challenging things I read very early on with this was we had never successfully developed a coronavirus vaccine prior to this. So to be doing it, it was very new. And yet these have turned out to be incredibly powerful. They were developed incredibly quickly, particularly by global standards, right? They've been in market for several months now and working really well. What are your observations about where the race to find a vaccine has taken us? Look, I think we've been um, invested in MRI technology for for quite some time prior to this pandemic hitting. So we've been quite fans of this new technology or what basic scientists have done to to the platform. Um, But what is really um, exciting and what, what has really happened is over the last, I would say, decade, the tools in, in labs, molecular biology tools, how they analyze things and how they develop, for example, genetic medicines, have really um, progressed a lot. And because of that, together with sequencing, like we can sequence things much faster, much cheaper, and um, it's essentially much more throughput, we were able to firstly identify the virus very quickly in sequence. And then what, for example, Moderna and BioNTech, the two mRNA companies have done is they were really good at making these mRNAs and really um, knowing which ones to use and really testing a lot of them to see which one is the best in a very rapid time. So the automation is part of that. Computational science is very important. That had really moved into um, biology and molecular biology. So you, you really saw the best of biotech coming together. And you can see this, this tech biotech convergence really at play over the last year. And I think it is that that I find the most fascinating. And on top of that, it was both of these companies were financed quite well, so they could do it. And in case of BioNTech, they made the right choice to partner with Pfizer, who could help them on the global development and manufacturing really accelerated. So 
there's a maturity of, of managers out there that, that know what to do, that can pull the trigger. It's absolute dedication from, from both the teams at these companies and at Pfizer. And that really has come to life. So to me, it is really a, um, a crescendo that has been built up over the last decade that obviously then came together at the right time with the right people, right technology that really made this happen. So that's to me what I take out of this. And what, from an investor point of view, I'm really excited about is that it really confirms how we do um, investing in, in healthcare. It really works because we look at things very early on, we engage with the companies, and we all also pay a lot of attention to who, who the people are and how well they're financed, how they have gained finance. And what we then see is it has come together. So that's personally quite gratifying and quite exciting and will help us in the future to find similar things that we, that we found here. But yeah, what we also, I think, um, learned is vaccines was quite an oligopoly. So it was companies were very comfortable where they were at. The innovation wasn't that great. And when we first engaged with Moderna in, in 2016, 2017, one of the key things that they were telling us was, you know, this is ripe for something different and that's what we're going to do. Um, and most people have said to us like, oh, vaccines is not very interesting. You know, it's not really that exciting business and it's an oligopoly, but here you go it can be broken and it can be changed. And that's what we're seeing today. So I think we will see a lot more from the mRNA platform going forward, not just for vaccines, but also for therapeutics. So all of this is really kind of exciting at a not so exciting time, to be honest, for, for most people in this pandemic. It is. I mean, when you talk about the technology in that way, it is incredibly exciting. We're fortunate to be alive at a time when, science can respond so effectively and so quickly to a pretty astonishing challenge. Uh, I hear what you're saying, you know, in Australia, we're at really, really horribly low levels of vaccination, primarily due to lack of supply. Could you comment on that and also how you're seeing the rollout across the rest of the world? Because as you've been mentioning, it's one thing to develop the technology and that's amazing. And to find that it's so effective, it's easy to forget that the vaccines are sort of, you know, 90 plus percent effective against the original version of the virus. That's amazing, right? Very few vaccines. Flu virus is not that good. Um, you know, that's incredible and so quickly. So that's super exciting. But obviously the the supply chain and infrastructure and so on to actually get it out there and into people's bodies is essential. And that's yep. probably where we've dropped the ball a bit as a country. Yeah, look, I think one of the other things, so one aspect is the science is amazing, the people push that forward and um, to develop at that record time. But the big part is, is the supply chain, the procurement of the components to make these vaccines, um, which is true for all of them, really, and particular at a level of what, how many doses we need globally. So that has put pressure onto um the supply chain and basically the components of it. And what we've then seen is that various companies have um, obviously invested into further capacity very quickly. And that's, that's great. What um, I think a lot of people were obviously hesitant is, um, and we got this pushback um, when we said mRNA would it would work it had a very good chance of working is it's new it's it's and people shy away from that um and it's it's interesting because um science is all about new that's all all scientists do there's a hypothesis and they have to test it 
So every drug has started out like that. So, but here we were obviously worried. And I think in the end, um, what that has caused, I think some countries to be more hesitant about it. And we've seen it in Europe. They also didn't have the right allocations. But they then basically jumped in and did that, you know, we've got to do this. But in the end, I think what we have today is we're seeing at the moment when you look at, at different vaccination rates. So you get you hit tend to hit, hit uh, um, a level of, of 50 percent of people being vaccinated. And then there sets a little bit of, of vaccine fatigue that we're seeing today. And I've, I've checked before, I think Malta has the highest rate of vaccination at the moment, I think about 80 percent is vaccinated, which is an interesting um, case to look at what, what happens there with different variants. But in the end, it is um, about a forward looking that you have to have. And I think what we're now seeing um, across the, the globe is um, different private public partnerships. So we've just um, this week have seen um, BioNTech and Pfizer work with a company in Africa to essentially build local manufacturing for mRNA for Africa. We've seen BioNTech work with um, Singapore to do that. So we're seeing all these different things and I think that's absolutely important to have. And it's if you just, it's not just because for the vaccine, but it's also, for example, for mRNA, what it is in terms of a personalized medicine. So one of the key things why we um, like BioNTech was because of the idea of a personalized cancer vaccine that they were working on. And what that means is you essentially have your, your cancer, the cancer then gets molecularly analyzed, sequenced, and they will make, um, you look at all the different antigens that are floating around basically, and then say, okay, which antigens can we use to make a cancer vaccine personally for this, for this patient? And to do that, you need to have local manufacturing to do that because it will be basically individually made. That is the future. Now you can say, oh, that's not proven, but, I wouldn't really look at it that way. I would say like, well, I think with the tools again that we have today, I think we're going to get there. And I think if you, if, you, if I would be the Australian government, I would think like, what is that industry? Why, why can't we do that here? And I think that's why we're seeing some of these, for example, Singapore look at this and say, well, for the future, this would be interesting. So I think going back to your question about the vaccines, I think people were too into looking at that at the moment or for vaccines or we just procure it or we just have this the idea of using CSL for AstraZeneca and as a local manufacturing site is great but I think you always want to diversify and I think there were um that could have been done better and I think I think even um Germany was was or not European Union really wasn't as good at that either the UK was very good at that. And I think to some extent, um, America, the USA was very good at that as well. They just spend the money and then wrote certain contracts, what they're going to procure. But I think what we have to do now is to really look at, you know, certain patient populations or, or people will need boosters because they're immune compromised. And when there's other variants that come up, they will do that. So we need to understand, look ahead, what do we need in the future? What allocations? And I think in the end, there should be a discussion about local manufacturing of mRNA. I think that would be very interesting from a future perspective to build an industry. I think that would be super exciting. I think, you know, Australia, we haven't necessarily done a sensational job of investing in uh, high-tech industries and high-growth industries, and there's enormous potential there. I know Queensland, many years ago, uh, the Premier was very keen to make the state 
uh, very technology focused, mm. yeah. but, um, but I'm not sure to what extent they, uh, they managed to get that off the ground. In addition to vaccination, you've also been talking about the challenges of testing, which is another yeah. another set of challenges for us yeah. in Australia. Do you have thoughts on that as well? Because it's becoming a real issue to ensure that you are on top of the sheer volume of people who may have been exposed. Yeah, look, I think what I've been doing all along is, is look at, obviously, countries outside of Australia who, who tend to be always a bit ahead in, in terms of when they have to deal with variants or different things. Um, and one of the key things there is, is the change from the idea that we only test when you have a symptom. Um, so symptomatic testing. So we really need to move to this asymptomatic screening kind of based test, which basically means we need a, a kind of an expansion of the infrastructure that, that we have. And what we also need to do, we have to make it easy. So I know about myself. So if I have like whatever scratch in, in, in my throat, I then have to go and line up at the whatever local um, testing facility. And um, so you think like, oh, why can't I just go down to the, to the pharmacy and do, in Germany, for example, you go to the pharmacy, book in an appointment and you do a rapid antigen test. Now, there's all debates whether they are as, as sensitive, as good, whatever. I think what often happens with rapid antigen tests, it's all about the sample, how it's being taken. So, but if you go to the pharmacy, they could be trained to do it and you get actually a very good um, um, test result. So I think that that has to, to happen to make life as to incorporate the, the, not vaccination, but incorporate the testing into our daily lives. And I think what you see even also in the UK, they have rapid tests at home, several that they can pick up at the pharmacy, and then they can test themselves regularly. In, in Austria and in Vienna, they do something like a gargle test that you can pick up and then drop off, and they actually do a PCR test on it. So that diversification, we don't have here at all. And I think if we want to open up the borders, we need to, to have screening um, a screening stations set up. We have to, the airport has to, has to work with that and things like that. So that's something that I'm very passionate about now because on the other hand, look, vaccines are gonna come into this country. It will get better. There were mistakes made, but let's just focus on the next issue that will arise, which is, which is the testing infrastructure that we have. And here again, I look overseas and take that as a guide and see what can we learn from that. And, um, and I think that's important. They test, you know, can you get into some event? You have to be tested. And I think we, we have to adapt that. Is that then forever? I don't think so. I think our vaccines will get better. We will be, if you look at Moderna, for example, and also BioNTech, they're looking at to predict variants that of concern that could arise, that they're then already ready have vaccine boosters with, with that variant there. So all of that is kind of helping. So I don't think it will be forever the testing, but I think at the moment, until we, we kind of understand the virus even more, we probably will have to do a more screening-based um, uh, or set up a more screening-based infrastructure of, test, of, of screening for the virus. That would be great. And that debate isn't really happening yet. So we, I guess, as investors, we look at various companies that are involved in this area or have, have basically um, invested in that area. And um, one of the things is that um, one can learn from them. And one could, for example, ask them, how about, you know, you're investing in Australia and, and in doing that. So there's all these angles that unfortunately isn't really been debated yet. 
it's so, you know, if you can put aside the personal experience of, uh, of COVID, and we were joking before we started this, my five-year-old daughter was at the front door with a suitcase this morning. So we're all experiencing this in different ways. <laughs> a couple of weeks have walked out and she's out. She's not doing yeah. it anymore. Um, but you know, if you can put aside the personal experience of it, it's absolutely fascinating to see how the medical infrastructure is responding. And I, I find it fascinating talking about the science and how... Yeah how exciting it is what has been developed. I mean, vaccines are the incredible success story, but you've also made the point that testing is incredible how efficient and effective it has become so long as you're utilising it well. Many other parts of the healthcare sector really suffered, which is interesting. Elective surgery, other medical conditions have had to take a back seat. I'm sure many of us have stories of uh, friends and family who've had to you know, postpone medical yep. treatment and so on because the focus has all been on COVID. How has what's been happening affected the other sorts of companies you look at? Um, I think it's temporarily affected them in terms of, um, as you say, elective surgery was there were hospitals where basically no elective surgery and that goes through waves. But what, what is interesting and that's I think is, is very much overall I think companies, um, they can step up to it and can change actually quite a lot. And what I found fascinating, we, we the other day spoke to, it was a small biotech that essentially had a, had a significant setback last year and um, in COVID, um, and they basically took this and um, re-established themselves, basically regrouped and said, okay, this product's obviously not working, let's focus on the next one and let's just really think about what we're going to do. And they come out stronger of it. And they said in an interesting way that because people were at home and Zoom, people could just Zoom into the different meetings. So when they had different sites, they were in the U.S., across the US, people now were much easier to collaborate, to talk to each other because of Zoom. So there is these anecdotes where, um, and I found that the same. So we had, um, I'm not sure, maybe it's because CEOs weren't able to travel. I don't know, they're bored at home with their family. But they were so excited to, to have meetings, to, to catch up, to, to sometimes we had to say, oh, we just spoke to you a couple of weeks ago. We don't need to talk again. But it really changed the mindset of people. And I think that's really comes out of it. And for a lot of the, for example, um, medical device companies, they had to do a lot, obviously, online. But they um, they really established, for example, a sales model online or they um, product demonstrations online. We did the other day another US company where we wanted to understand there. It was more in the life science tool space. How do you use your machine, this new machine that you have? How does it work? And they got the sales guy in front of us and said, well, this is what I do for our clients and ran us all through. You basically are virtually walking through the, walking where this machine stands and how the sample is being processed. So all of that has really changed, um, I think, companies and and they become quite different companies to, to their work before the pandemic. And now I guess we have to adjust to this more middle part level where people go into the office, some don't, in a more flexible working environment. But overall, I think they all have come out a lot stronger with a different um, kind of bow to their string, really, what they can do and how they can engage with people. So to me, it's been an um, incredible learning um, exercise and to really see some of the companies that, that took on challenges and how they really um, succeeded in taking on those challenges. So I'm always absolutely amazed, going back to the vaccine, is all these people, now the scientists usually go to the lab and the manufacturing 
But when they then do the negotiations about contracts, which were obviously across um, borders, across different countries, that was all down in lockdown. So I'm just fascinated how that all worked now, how it's all virtual, what we can achieve when we really get our head together. So, yeah, so I think it's been it's been very interesting. That's absolutely fascinating. I love the fact that we've been discussing, you know, the shift to online sales for retail, thinking about mm-hmm. people buying, you know, shoes and whatever else yeah. that we've been buying, but it's also That's applying nice. to medical devices and far more, far more complex products. Yeah. One interesting fact that I guess Morningstar recently published their outlook for a variety of sectors and, and they were saying a lot of things are overvalued at the moment. They're really worried about toppy markets. And yet their view was that healthcare is quite undervalued, both globally in Aus- and in Australia. I want to say off the top of my head, they said it was about 30% undervalued, which is not insignificant due to the sort of factors we've been discussing about some of just, just companies being unable to perform their core work. Are you seeing pockets of undervaluation at this point in time? Uh, I wouldn't say it's it's strikingly undervalued. Um, I think there's pockets that that are. So there's a lot of companies that, for example, particularly in biotech, who trade very close to their cash balances. So there is quite a lot of interesting value there if you have a long-term perspective. I think the, a lot of the medical device companies have um, kind of come back to where they were when they were quite quite relatively cheap. Um, we're now seeing a little bit of fatigue in some of them. So we just actually this week had a couple of reports out, really good, like great numbers, but the stocks are actually coming down, which is basically, look, we're, we're really understanding now it's big growth numbers from a very low base last year. Um, and that looks really good, but okay, what's next? We kind of moved on to that stage. Um, I think when you look at, at pharma companies, uh, they always struggle with the whole pricing debate. To me, I sometimes worry about, given what we're seeing in biotech, given what we're seeing, the different business models happening in biotech, I sometimes try to think about, well, where does that leave pharma in 10 years' time and what do they do? Because biotech is really charging along and and really doing great things. And we've seen some kind of new business models in in, in biotech where they really have rather large um, pipelines themselves now because... Some of the things are automated, what they're doing. So it's, it's, there's, there's quite a shift happening. And I, thought, I think a little bit that idea of pharma is defensive is kind of not, not as clear. I think these guys have to also work hard to come up with new products because of generics and what they do. Um, so I think there's pockets of that, but I wouldn't say now that, that a lot of it is, is undervalued. So we, we pay a lot of close attention to, you know, where is the heat? And for example, a lot of companies have benefited from the demand for, for um, viral testing. They have actually, they generate lots of cash out of that. They have now deployed that, uh, that cash into acquisitions. So they're building up different legs of growth as well, as we've seen with Danaher going into um, plasmid manufacturing and all sorts of different things happening there. So I think there is pockets, but I wouldn't say broadly it is fully undervalued. I think Australia is, is a different case in time. Biotechs are always here a little bit more struggling to get that continuous funding going over years. So when you, for example, go into a biotech, the IPO is just the start. So there's going to be several funding rounds coming up. So we're seeing that in the US. We have also still a pretty strong market for um, biotech listings. 
but they're not as crazy as it has been. So it is a lot more selective and you, you have to understand um, where you're getting into and what the valuation really means. So yeah, so I'm probably not as um, under on the undervalued side as Morningstar is. I think one has to be more careful. Yes, it's always a caveat emptor in these situations, isn't it? it um, you mentioned in our last conversation, you were just talking about funding rounds then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, funding comes from various sources. It will come from private investors. It also comes from a lot of government bodies. I think they're all starting to get a very rapid education or they've had one in the last 18 months about how important public funding yes. is for some of these issues. And you'd mentioned last time we spoke that infectious diseases had been something of a poor cousin when funding was being handed out for research. And I imagine from the big, I want to say charitable organisations, but the big foundations and so on, because a lot of stuff was going into cancer and degenerative diseases and so on that felt like the big issues for the Western world in particular. And you were saying you thought COVID might be a catalyst for change in this area. Is that starting to occur, do you think? Um, I think I think that what's interesting is the the not so much infectious diseases, the money or the excitement is going into I think what what some people label genetic medicines about um, you know what is it uh, in terms of I think mRNA automatically has seen a lot more interest because it is now the thing. Whereas I then say okay that's great. I think the companies that are there they have a lot of um, IP, they have a lot of knowledge. So I think to just build it from scratch is is quite hard. Um, I think it's then more interesting to me is what other areas are they? And um, I think there's a lot of work going on in terms of how can you deliver a gene um, differently by not using a viral delivery method. So there's different areas that are seeing quite a bit of interest. Um, I think infectious diseases, sometimes I think, for example, we're not seeing a lot going into hepatitis B. It's a, it's a difficult virus, um, but it's an important one. And I think what usually happens is once there is a success story, then they will go. So at the moment, I think there's testing is, is seeing an interest and people put it more down to genetic medicines or genetics, whatever you name, you can put all sorts of things in, in, in that basket. But we're seeing that quite a bit. Um, and then what else do we see? But that's kind of like where where it stops. So it's not like going into every possible thing. What we've seen recently, I guess, it's there has been approval of an, of an Alzheimer antibody, quite controversial. Um, and so there's a bit more kind of interest in that. In, in Again, are we at the point where we're looking at neurodegenerative diseases differently because we look at it as a, as a, as a genetic component? We've made a lot of um, headway there. So are we going to um, basically, at the moment in oncology, you define a tumour not by its location anymore. You look at it molecular profile. And we always think that in the property in the next 10 years, you will do the same with um, diseases of the brain or neurodegenerative diseases where you will basically map them out by their molecular profile rather than a broad kind of um, definition. So you're seeing money go into that. So it is, it is more, I think it's, it's actually much broader than I thought it would be. It is really biotech, genetics, molecular biology, people are seeing the gene editing. We had a great result recently by a company called Intelia. Um, They delivered um, a gene editing um, uh, machinery called CRISPR, and they showed that that it does work. 
um, they can edit a, a, the gene of tire of of of, uh, of desire that they wanted to edit. They they successfully did that in humans. So that's that will see um, that has seen a lot of IPOs come to market. So there is there is a lot of excitement in the whole sector. Um, my worry always is that look, I think both Moderna and BioNTech made it look very easy. What has happened in 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 a year's time? this is not as easy as it is and um, there's always failures overnight there was a failure in a my in, in a microbiology company um, so these things do happen and I think at the moment there's a, sometimes a bit too much retail excitement but overall I think the whole thing has benefited not just infectious diseases but the overall people got excited about you know what is healthcare where are we going what does the next decade look like one last question then, and you have answered this in many ways, but um, but I'll be explicit for those who are sort of looking for a punchy answer. What do you see as the really big areas for growth over the next five to 10 years in the sectors you look at? Look, I think the big overarching theme really is the automation and the convergence between the computer science, molecular biology and genetics that's really happening. And why has that happened is it comes down to obviously the human genome that was deciphered about over 20 years ago. But then it also comes down to the tools like sequencing who've become much cheaper, easier to use and really a lot more um, specific in what, what they're doing and high throughput. So it really has allowed a much broader scientific base to be used it and then what we now have to do is we have to look at this data and what does this data tell us and then translate it into better diagnostics better therapies and how we basically improve standard of care and I think we're at at the cusp of really accelerating this and I think it's these are all the different themes that are happening and they will basically infiltrate different parts of our healthcare life really so to me, it is, um, and I've, I have to say, I have never seen as many exciting companies out there in my career. So it is very much a, um, yeah, some people call it the bio, biotech revolution, the biology revolution. Um, I'm usually not as dramatic. I'm German, so I try to stick to the facts. But it is, it is very exciting. And I think it is, it is really a different world. And if you spin that further, there's synthetic biology where we now can basically manipulate organisms to produce all sorts of different things. And I think all of that, it will really infiltrate not just healthcare, but other parts like manufacturing, industrials of what we do. Um, there's all sorts of things about how do we do we store data in form of DNA. So there's there's all of these these um, themes, and within that, there's always several companies. And so for us as investors, it's all about understanding: Do these guys have a plan, and are they going to be successful in the next five years? And so for us to do that is basically just continuously engage with the industry as much as we can. So to me, I'm, I'm super excited um, what's happening. So, um, yeah, I sometimes uh, don't have enough hours in the day to just do it all. But that's the exciting part. Doesn't sound even remotely German. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm very excited. It's awesome. Yeah, you guys at, so at Platinum produce heaps of great content. Uh, you've got a number of listed and unlisted products that people might be interested in, uh, including your international healthcare funds. And by way of disclaimer, we have money in this fund, my self-managed fund, and love reading your 
your summaries because they're fantastic for those of us who are not close to this kind of thing, right? And it is exciting. It's awesome. If people want to read that stuff and they want to find out more, where should they go? Um, the best thing is, I think, to our website. So um, we've done a bit more. We've got a bit more, um, I guess, socially engaged on the social social networks and tr- and basically produce contents and read our annual report, not annual reports, quarterly reports, and we put out um, insight notes. There's a... Um, a a site called The Journal, where we put some articles that are topical um, on for for people to read. So just visit the website and um, have a look at at the Inside tab, which then has the journal and different interesting articles on it. Dr. Bianca Ogden from Platinum, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We have received some fantastic feedback. We love getting your questions. So please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.